Well, I would like to uh, <coughs> greet everyone in the uh, precious name of the Lord. It's good to see uh, the church house well filled, even though there are a number of people missing. I didn't know for sure what to title the message that the Lord gave me. I wrestled with it for a while, and I, I thought of calling or texting Cheryl and, and telling her what the title of it was, but I wasn't sure that it was all that good of a title. And so I hesitated and hesitated until it was too late. And uh, so I didn't do it. This morning I shared it with the brethren downstairs, and, and they thought it was all right, so uh, I'd like to tell you what the title is of the... Uh, the message that the Lord laid upon my heart. And that the title of it is A Birthday Surprise. I I think we all like birthday surprises. Most of us can use a birthday surprise. At least that's what we say when we get a birthday surprise from someone. Even though we may not like what we got, we still put on a smile and say thank you and maybe even say just what I've always wanted or something like that when we know it's not the truth. Well, this morning we're going to look at a, a birthday surprise and when I talk about a birthday surprise, I'm talking about a birth date surprise. All of us, when we got became born again. That was the starting of a, a birth date. We became born again. And when we became born again, things immediately changed. I mean, life was completely different from what it was before. No doubt, anybody that's experienced it has changed, has found wondrous things going on in his life. During the course of, of getting this message, I went, went through a number of things, and one of them was this morning when we pulled out of the driveway at home and went down past the golf course. There were already at, at uh, 8.30 people out there ready to play golf. And I thought, how can that be? How can those people go out there and play golf and not think about going to church. I couldn't do that. Even though I like to play golf, I prefer going to church rather than playing golf. And uh, I don't know, it's just, I've been taught from as soon as, or soon after I was born to go to church, even though I didn't remember it, but I know that mom and dad always took us to church. And when we got old enough, I think it's like somebody said here at the, the church here, when, when uh, it was time to go to church and somebody didn't feel good, they came the mom and dad came around with some medicine, and they said, here, this will uh, make you feel better if you take this medicine or whatever it was that they didn't like. And they, oh no, they said they feel fine, you know. 
So the parents said, okay, then we're going to church. It didn't take long to cure that sickness, you know. Then the other thing that I see is from our birth date, why does it seem such a short time between the time that we were born again or that you were born again to get to the place where you began to question some of the scriptures and feel whether they're really important. And you get to the place where you like the smorgas-type of church. A smorgas-type church, a, a meal, if you go to a smorgasbord, you can pick and choose what you want. And a lot of times when we go there, I, a smorgasbord means that you can eat as much as you want to. And some people eat all that they want to, go back the fourth, fifth time, and then bring it back, and oh, I can't eat all this. And so they leave a lot of food on their table, on their plate, I mean. And a lot of people that go to a smorgasbord, they eat so much that pretty soon, oh, their, their stomach is so full. The men loosen the belt a little bit, and the ladies may take their belt off because their stomach is just full. They was just went through a smorgasbord, and they don't know how to handle it. You ever feel that way? I did. Been there, done that, you know. Well, there's a few quotes that I got from people in preparing this message. One of them was, I had a brother from another state, so it wasn't from this church, was talking to me. And he asked a question about a certain passage of Scripture, and he said, is it a salvation issue? And I didn't know how to, I knew how I felt, but I didn't know for sure how to answer him. So he said he talked to his father, and his father, I guess, told him what he believed on, on that question. But he never told me what his father said. So I took the opportunity yesterday to call his father and find out exactly what he told him. Another quote that I got was two sisters from over there. You know how some people, it, it always intrigues me how some people, when you talk to some Amish people, and they ask them where they're from, they'll say, Missin von Trever. In Ohio, we never talked like that. You know, it's just... <laughs> We, I guess we could have said down in Holmes County or up in Akron. We're from up or we're from down or we're from north, south, whatever way, you know. But anyhow, and that, like I say, it intrigued me. So I would like to talk this morning on, on a, a passage that, well, 
my wife wasn't sure that I should use it or preach about it because she said the people will think that you preachers are talking about that all the time. So I didn't know. Should I or shouldn't I? So I went through this and studying. Sometimes I'd pick up my Bible and I'd open the Bible and it would always go to that one chapter. Just open it and there it was. Four different times that happened. So I kind of took that as maybe the Lord speaking to me about that. Well, I don't always do that. I don't go per chance like that and, and let the Lord speak to me through that. So I would like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and something that I have gleaned in, in thinking about this. And I suppose it's something that maybe I just didn't have my eyes open enough to see it, but it tells you as plainly in there what it is. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bound or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the head, hand, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And he goes on to tell us that why that this is. Now, I always thought that when he was talking about this body, he was just giving me some good information about my body, how it works. And whenever, whenever the head tells the feet to do something, they do it. And I don't have to tap on, on my uh, legs or something to get my feet to move. The head just tells the body what to do. When I see something, or when I feel something, if I feel a, a piece of paper that is colored red, I can feel it, but I cannot tell what color it is by just feeling it. So I need the eyes to show me what color that is. And then he goes on in this chapter, and he says that he is speaking in relation to the body which is the church. So when I can't see something, my brother or sister can see something that I can't see, so they can help me. 
if I go somewhere with my feet that I don't know where I'm going, another person that sees it can tell me that it is not good to go there. If I hear something that I misunderstood, someone that heard it right can help me that I get a better understanding of it. I need the family, the church family, according to Paul. It's not just a picture of my own body and how it functions, but he's telling us how that the church should function, how that we should be a part, so intertwined with one another that we almost know what a person thinks, how he feels, what he sees. Two sisters from over there, called us and want to know if we would meet with them in the Napanee uh, Main Street Coffee House. So we went there to the coffee house and talked. And they talked about a, a number of things that were going on in their church and how that they would get together and discuss various things. And the one thing that one of the, the sisters said was, it almost seems like People would rather be right than hear God. They'd rather be right than hear God speak. So that spoke to me. And one of the the things that really spoke to me was this question. Is it a salvation issue. Now, I didn't know that you can take any part of the Bible, any part, Old Testament or New Testament, that isn't salvation related. Because the whole Bible speaks about the coming of the Savior. And which one are we going to tear out and say, no need for it to be in there? I sure don't want to be guilty of taking anything out, of adding to or taking from. And I'm sure that you don't want to. What I'd like to talk about this morning is authority. The Apostle Paul, if you remember him, he wasn't Paul then, he was Saul. He went about hailing men and women to jail because they were talking about the way or the Jesus way. And he hailed these men and women and took them to jail. And all of a sudden, the Lord came down and and looked this thing over. As if he couldn't see from heaven, sure he could. But he arrested Paul on his way, on the highway, and knocked Paul down, or Saul down, and then he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And so the things that he was doing to other people, he was doing to the Lord. Saul did not realize that. He didn't realize the value 
of seeing something as important as hurting the Lord when he hurts other people. And he said, Saul, do you know it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks? It's hard for you to do what you're doing. Saul got a hold of an authority, and his life changed. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said, go to this little town to a man named Ananias, and he will tell you what you're supposed to do. Paul could have said, Ananias, he's not a well-known man. He's not a popular man. Why do you want me to go to this little man, Ananias? But he didn't. He didn't question it. The Lord told him where to go, and Saul went. And Saul became a different man when Ananias came. Ananias, I believe, was a little bit afraid. But he went and talked to Saul, and Saul had a new birth experience. A genuine change of life, change of course. He went the opposite direction of what he was going. And when we experience a new birth in our life, we too will go the opposite direction of where we were going. So, turn to Romans chapter 13. In this particular chapter, God has another lesson for us. Verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no power but of God. The power that be, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And I wondered, do I ever resist the powers that be? Do I talk about the powers that be? Or am, do, I, do I submit myself to their authority? You know, we can, we can say, well, what, what you're doing is not right. I mean, if you make, if you make a law that says 65, and I go 75, I always have a guilty conscience because I'm driving up the road, and pretty soon I see a policeman or radar up ahead, and automatically the cruise control goes off, and my foot goes on the brake. Automatically, my conscience is there. Why? Why is that? Because I am not respecting the authority that God has set over me. So I have a guilty conscience right away. If I drive the speed limit, no problem. I can cruise right through there, wave if I want to. You know, no problem. They'll stay there. But I hate it when that red light goes on and here they come up behind me. I don't like that. But that happens when we don't submit to authority. They have a, tell, they have a way of telling us that we had better submit. 
Okay. Having said that, my next chapter is. Take a guess. First Corinthians eleven. And I'm glad that you're here this morning. I appreciate the sisters from our church here. We appreciate you very much. You may glean something from this, and you may be just like the person that is cruising 65 out of 65 mile zone. It just doesn't bother you that much, but you're, you're glad for the safeguards. Reading from verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I have you, have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So there we have, in a nutshell, the reason for this chapter. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. Verse 4. Every man praying or prophesied, prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Which would mean he dishonors Christ. That's why we believe that man should remove their, their hat or their uh, whatever they're, they're wearing when they're praying or prophesying in a church service. I am intrigued in going to the Amish church where the man will walk into the church, some churches, I don't say that all churches are like that, and they have their hats on. And as soon as the song leader gives out the song, off come the hats. It's, it's just kind of interesting to watch that, uh, to see that. But I, I think they have a respect for that, you know, to uh, when they're, listening or praying or prophesying that they should not have their heads covered. Every man praying or prophesying, say, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. That, and that would mean that the woman dishonors her husband by praying without a covering or a veil. For verse 6, If the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. That would mean like the woman would, if it's a shame for a woman to be shaven, you know, Ladies that have 
had cancer, they took these treatments, they lose all their hair. And it's, it's, it's almost like they're ashamed of it, you know, that they have no hair, so they wear a, a cap or something, put it on their head, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. They, they don't look as good bullheaded as, as men do. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that, but they, they don't look as good bullheaded because it, it just seems like they have a bunch of hair, you know, a lot of hair, and they don't lose it near as fast as what men do. And in the, in the place where this is talking about, it talks about women that went to the streets and became prostitutes, and, and, and they would shave their hair, and they would put on some kind of a hat to be more inviting to the men. That's something that, as Christians, our ladies do not do things like that. Our sisters do not, that they do not conduct themselves in a way that man will mistake them for a harlot. Okay, we're going to continue. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of men. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now there's a lot of talk about this, but the angels. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Have, how many here really feel that you have had angels protect you even though you did not see them? Amen. Very common among Christian people. We cannot see them, but we know that there was an unseen hand that protected us. So, I think if, if, if we want that, if we want the angels to protect us, ladies, if you want the angels to protect you, then don't be afraid or ashamed to wear that veil on. And when you wear that veil, it means that you recognize the power and the authority that God has set. It's an established principle that God laid down. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of the woman. And so there needs to be some kind of submission here. The wife is to submit. And that doesn't mean that the man is a better Christian than the woman at all. It's not what it's talking about, that one is better than the other person. But it's just talking about what God has set in place. Now, I would understand this morning that as the coverings get smaller, the submission to the husband gets shorter. You understand what I'm saying? As the covering gets smaller, the submission gets less. Almost always that is the case. And so, the Bible here talks about a covering, but you know what? Unreal. Such an important issue 
and it doesn't tell us what size it should be. Isn't that strange? That it wouldn't tell us what size. Now, if you look up the Greek words, it means that you should wear something that covers. And I feel, personally, I feel that it should be something that you can see when you look at a person from the front. I feel like if you can't see it from the front, then it's probably too small. Now, that's just a personal feeling. I'm not saying that the Bible says that at all. I am amazed when I go to an airport, train station, a bus station, and see some of the Muslim Brotherhood ladies there, the way they dress. Now, I'm not asking you to dress like that at all. But it, it's just amazing that some people dress like that. It just, it just seems strange to me. It looks good, but I, I'm not trying to tell you that that's the way to, that you should, should do it. Then it continues on here, and, and I want to read some things that I have read. For the woman is of the man, even so is the man also. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge on yourself. Isn't it commonly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Now, when the Bible says things like this, what do the women do that take their covering off and they don't wear it? They'll cut their hair. And if they profess to be Christians and they read something like this, what are they thinking? What are people thinking that do that? Maybe they need some of the church eyes that are able to see. Maybe they need some ears that are able to hear and feet that are able to walk. And when the head tells you, which is Christ, the head tells you, maybe you should go talk to some of that. Maybe, maybe you should go and talk, talk to some sisters or, or, or ladies. Now, let's continue. But if a woman have, does not even nature itself teach you in verse 4, that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. And I wonder what, what men think that read a passage like this. That have long hair. Is, and it's a shame for a man to have long hair? Now we ask the question, well, what is long hair? Yeah, what is long hair? Whenever you feel guilty, then you'd better quit. Cut them off. Cut them short. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for the covering? No. For a covering. So don't let anybody try to tell you that it's not necessary, it's not needful, it's just... Here's, here's a saying that a lot of people use. 
a lot of people that don't want to wear the covering or the veiling anymore, they'll say it's just a Mennonite thing. It's, it's a wonder that God didn't put that in there. This Mennonite thing that people want. It's not a Mennonite thing. It's a God thing. God has put it there. And for you and I to pick and choose what we want makes us feel very uncomfortable until we go past the place where God is able to speak to us. Then we'll do just exactly what we want to. Now, there are different things that happen. The woman says that it's, not, it's, it's kind of hard to submit to the husband that takes his own way or is not submissive to his head, which is Christ. Did you know that if the husband is not submissive to Christ, that that will, that will filter right down to the children and the children become angry and disorderly and disrespectful? Because the husband is not submitting himself to Christ. But the husband would really like for the woman to submit to him. It just doesn't make sense. Spiritual sense, I should say. It doesn't make spiritual sense that the husband wants the wife to submit, but he's not willing to submit to, to Christ. Well, I think it all works the best if we learn to submit to authority. God puts different authorities in our lives. God has put James in authority. Us ministers need to be submissive to him. Learn from him. God has appointed him a position in the church. He didn't choose that. God gave that authority. So we need to recognize that. The church needs to recognize that the ministry has an authority that they need to submit to. It's not hard. I don't think the minister is going to ask anything of the church that they themselves wouldn't want to do or that they feel the Lord wouldn't want them to do. But, but I think we need to learn to listen to one another. I don't think that we should go up to the ministers and tell them what's wrong with them and what they did wrong. But I think it's right for us to make an appeal how we do things. Okay, I have a, a few comments that I'd like to read here. And this is in relation to the, to the women. And please, ladies, don't, don't take me wrong. I am not against the ladies. I, I want you to know that. When a liberated woman first hears about wearing the veiling, her immediate reaction might be one of resentment. The first principle for understanding the veiling is to reach a place in one's life where one accepts that life's fullest blessing can only come through God. Susan is in, in a woman and words of God says, headship does not involve superiority. The man is not head because he is better in any respect than the woman. This fact is proved by the inclusion of the head of Christ 
is God. Today, when sisters have the sign of authority on their heads, they bear testimony that I have covered my head so that I do not have my own head. For I do not seek to be the head. My head is veiled, and I have accepted man as head. And to accept man as head means that I have accepted Christ as head. But some of you angels have rebelled against God. That is what is meant by because of the angels. I have on my head a sign of authority. I am a woman with my head covered. This is the most exciting testimony to the angels, the fallen angels and the unfallen ones. No wonder Satan persistently opposes the matter of the head covering. It really pushes him to shame. We are doing what he failed to do. Okay, now here's a, a couple testimonies from women. Some women feel the covering is a hindrance to our witness, and it may be if our lives don't measure up to the scripture. I was talking to a man the other night here in this church, but the person was not from this church. And we were talking about the head veiling. And he said this, and I appreciated the comment that he made. But he said, a woman just looks a lot more modest if she has a head covering on than she does if she doesn't. Than she does if she doesn't have one on. It just goes with modesty. And sometimes people are maybe a little bit ashamed, you know, of the size of their, their head covering. And, and, because, and the reason that they may be ashamed is because they want to dress in a way that is just kind of immodest. And so the two don't go together. However, I'm excited about Jesus, my Savior and Lord, and I love to talk to others about him. How do you sisters feel about the head covering? Is it a nuisance or a privilege? In these days, the Spirit of God is really urging me to witness for my Lord. Wearing the covering has been a means to this end because of the conversation it starts. Gladys Hershey. I have been asked if I have to wear my cape all the time, my, my cap all the time. I reply, no. I do not have to wear my veiling. I want to wear it. It's like, I, let's liken it to a love story. As a Christian woman, I have accepted the love that God gave those who believe on his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I delight in doing the things that show my love to God. Wearing the veiling is a privilege, an honor, and a joy. Why choose a veil? Gladys also said, let me tell you why I wear my covering and count it a privilege to do so. First, I believe that the place God gave to a woman in order of creation is an important and satisfying place. As a human being with selfish tendencies, I need a constant reminder to accept that place with joy. Alice Hartman, or an anonymous uh, person said this traveling I was traveling by bus I had to change stations late at night in a strange city I was followed for several blocks by a rough-looking man as I arrived safely at the next bus station he said to me lady if you hadn't been wearing that little white cap you would be a different woman now once again God's 
guardian angel had hoovered over my protective veiling and lifted my prayers to heaven. Alice Hartman, your carving doesn't fit very well with your hair comb that way, does it? My boyfriend said gently as we were on our way home to my, as we were on our way to my church at home after church on Sunday evening. I didn't answer him except a vague mumble sort of assent. Mm-hmm. Who did he think he was telling me how to comb my hair? With a little time to think it over, I knew he was right. I also knew it must not have been easy or to seem critical of a girl that when you were trying to attract her attention and win her friendships. I know you want to be very careful what you say. I went through that, done that. What was more, a person with a strong conviction, a pure conscience, and a desire to please God came mighty close to my ideal as a husband, she says. If he was to be the head of the home, Ephesians 5.23 and 1 Corinthians 11.3 and priest of the family, Numbers 30, I wanted one whose convictions I could place my confidence in. And if the Lord should give us children, I wanted to be able to point to him as their ideal and pattern. It was the last time I combed my hair that way. What a testimony. Well, there's more there, but I'm going to quit because it's time to uh, shut this thing down. So, the Lord bless you for coming and... and uh, I trust that it's been an inspiration, just a challenge to continue to grow in the Lord. You know, we, uh, we become self-conscious at times because of, of who we are and the way we dress and, and uh, modesty and different things, but do not be ashamed of your testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you stand for something. You represent someone. And who is it that you represent in your life? And who do I represent? Shall we pray? God and Father, we want to thank you this morning for your love and kindness to us. We thank you for this morning and that time that we spent or shared together in the uh, Sunday school hour and in the sharing time and just singing praises to you. And Father, we lift you up. We know that you are the head of the church. And we all together want to be submissive to that head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for saving us, putting new life within us, new desires, and new goals. And we, we pray that these might all work out to the glory of God the Father. Thank you for this hour. Pray that you might dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.